0: Hello, City Hope family. It's great to be with you this weekend, Father's Day weekend. And I want to say to all the men, hope you have a great day. Happy Father's Day. And uh, we're really proud of you. You know, I remember my dad telling me that every responsible man should have a will. And you know that a will is a legal document that says that what you've accumulated in this life and how you want it to pass on, to those you leave behind. To not have a will is to basically say, I want somebody else to determine what I have accumulated and how it's going to be given out and distributed. But a responsible man wants to be ahead of that and creates a will. That man is future-minded. You won't always be here, and so you're going to think about tomorrow, today. Many men do have a physical will, a physical asset will. But many do not know that you can have a will for spiritual assets. But to have one or to have both is because there's, they're not, not to have one or both is because they're not future-minded. So there's no clarity set up in the present. If there's no clarity in the present, there'll be chaos in the future. The Bible has a lot to say about spiritual assets or we could call it spiritual legacies that can be passed on from generation to generation. One verse I want to look at is in Proverbs. It's Proverbs thirteen twenty two. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A good man is not only thinking about what is happening with him today, but what's going to happen on three-generational level. Today, his children and his children's children. Another way to look at this would be to look into a relay race. In a relay race, the the passing of the baton to another is vital to finishing. So no matter how fast you can run, if you drop the baton, you ruin the race. Many men are successful, but they've dropped the baton. And then there's other men who have never even passed the baton in the first place. So, as a result of dropping the baton or never passing it up, the result is chaos. Families and in culture. So, let's look at two men in the Bible. Let's look at their stories. Because one man never passed the baton. And the other man actually dropped it, but picked it up and finished the race. The first man, his name is Jotham. I want to look at his life and his family to give you an idea of what's going on. So in 1 Chronicles 27 and 1, Jotham was 25 years old when he began to reign. He became the king of Israel, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother, her name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. So first of all, Jotham's grandfather, his father is King Uzziah, and he ruled over 50 years as the king of Judah one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. He did everything he could to follow the Lord and do what was right. His mother was the daughter of Zadok. And you may be thinking, well, who's Zadok? Zadok was the high priest back in the time of David and Solomon. In fact, from David's time forward, the priests were called the sons of Zadok. So Zadok was known for his righteousness and he was known for following the Lord. So his daughter was raised to follow the Lord and to to know the Lord. So Jotham's grandfather was one of the great high priests of Israel. As a child, he's raised with a godly heritage and a godly father like King Uzziah. What great legacies he inherited. But if you look at verse 2 in that same chapter, here's what it says. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to that his father Uzziah had done, except he did not enter the temple of the Lord. Let's see what all he did do, because you can read it yourself in that chapter, but he built buildings, he built walls, he built towers around cities and gates, he built the military, he, he, was an inc- he, he fought in battles, he, he was just this incredible guy. In fact, in 2 Chronicles 27, 6, it says, so Jotham became mighty, his reputation, his skills, his mindset, because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. So was he so busy? And what he was doing, he just didn't have time to go up to the temple of God. I mean, after all, God knew Jotham that he loved him and that he would do what was right in his sight. He knew his heart. But what he was showing his children is that, well, something else is more important than the temple of God. Success is more important than being in the presence of God. But at the root of his problem with Jotham, there was something that happened in the temple when he was in his late teens that affected him the rest of his life. It turned him off so badly that he decided that he'd just stay away from the temple. He wouldn't go into the presence of God. and That something had to do with his father. Uzziah had ruled for over 52 years very faithful to God. His name and his reputation, fame spread abroad. He was a, an incredible man. He was an incredible, he built an incredible army. He was an inventor. He was a creator, an entrepreneur. He, he, he invented the catapults and different types of swords and helmets and other things. But here's what the words said about his father, Uzziah, in Second Chronicles twenty six sixteen. When he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. What happened was he became so strong and so feared, he decided he could just do things his own way. Even in going into the temple, he went into the temple one day, decided he didn't need the priests and their functions, so he just decided he would do it as the king. And the high priest came in with all the priests and said, you can't do this. And he said, yes, I can, I'm the king. And I'm mighty and I'm powerful and I can do what I want to do. And immediately he was struck with leprosy. It says he was isolated from the temple of God for the rest of his life. He lived in isolation because he decided he could worship in his own greatness and he refused to repent to God. Now Jewish writings tell us that people with leprosy had to live in a camp outside the town and if you wanted to see them, if the wind was blowing with you, you had to stay 100 paces away. If the wind was blowing from them to you, you had to stay 300 paces away. Uh, Today we would call that extreme social distancing. In other words, when Uzziah came down with leprosy, at that moment, he couldn't have any contact with his family, his wife, his sons, his daughters. In other words, Jotham never went to temple again. He never got another hug from his dad, another another kiss, another pat on the back. Uzziah lived and died in that place. King Uzziah died and the people were upset in Israel because the king had died. And there was confusion in the family and in the culture. So Jotham, 25 years old, begins to reign as king of Israel. Then come the feast of Israel. Three feasts that all the men over 20 years of age were required to attend. It's kind of like the three major men's conferences, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacle. So Jotham has a son by now. His son, I can just see the son coming up and saying, hey, dad, it's, it's feast. I want to go. I want to see. I want to see all the people. I want to be involved. I want to, I want to learn from this. And Jotham probably said to him, well, you need to get somebody else to take you. I'm not against it. Yes, it's a God thing, but I can't take you to temple. I'm not going to take you to worship. Man, when you're too busy for God, you send a signal to your children. As they're growing up, you're signaling that the priority in your life is something other than God. I've heard people say, well, I'm not going to force religion on my kids. Good. Great. Thank you. But you do need to introduce them to a relationship with your personal savior. And they need to know what the presence of God is like, not only in your house, but in church. Time goes on. Jotham dies. His son becomes the king. King Ahaz. You probably have heard of his wife, Jezebel. Let's look at what the scripture says about Ahaz. 2 Chronicles 28, verse 1. (coughs) Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign as king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He was a king. He even made metal images for the Baals. He made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his son as an offering according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So now they have a king that is not doing right. And you wonder why? Well, his grandfather burnt incense in the temple, got in trouble because of pride was in his heart. Jotham refused to go into the temple and encounter God and teach Ahaz who God is in the presence of God. And, and Ahaz says when he becomes king and an adult, he says, I'm not going to do that either. I'm going to take my worship, my incense, and I'm going to burn it to idol gods. Now, at that time in history, the Canaanites had built in the valley of Henom a thing that was half-calf, half-man called Molech. And this brass statue, they would put fire and wood in it, and they would take the babies and hold them by their feet and pass them through the hands of Molech. And then someone would yell out, Molech wants this one, and they would take that baby and throw it into the fire. Ahaz actually burned his own children to death. He's defying God. He even says, I'm going all over Israel and I'm going to burn incense to false gods. A spirit of rebellion comes on the son Ahaz. And then he marries a spirit of control. And everything they did was ungodly. The root was this. He watched his father, saw that his father never went to temple. He never entered the presence of God. And so Ahaz followed his, followed his father's footsteps, never experienced the presence of Almighty God. Men, you do know there's a generation under you, sons and daughters. <laughs> Somebody's watching you. They imitate you. It's like the little boy. I remember the story the little boy who asked his dad, who's your hero? And dad gave him this list of athletes. And the little boy looked up and said, dad, you're my hero. Realize they're watching every move you make, every step you take, and if you love God, I'm not talking about you just say you love God, but you genuinely love God, you need to set aside time to be in his presence because there's something that happens that can only happen in his presence. In his manifest presence, in that place is where people's lives are changed, It's where we hear God and get directives and we have victories. When God manifests his presence, your spiritual eyes are open. You can sense God. You can hear him speaking with you, that something happens and the eyes of our hearts are enlightened and we begin to see things differently. The second man, his name is Asher. He's the guy that dropped the baton but picks it up and finishes the race strong. Let me set up the timeline for you. When you read the book of Judges, you have a culture in perpetual chaos because there's been no transfer of the baton. The baton was dropped. Judges 2.10, it says this, that when that generation had been gathered to their fathers, when the fathers and the grandfathers had died and gone to be with their, their loved ones, another generation arose who did not know the Lord. That word know in the Hebrew is the intimate word, intimately, they didn't know him intimately, nor did they even know the works he'd done for Israel. They didn't even know the history of what he had done for the nation. There was no divine standard passed on. In other words, men refused to man up to God's requirement of biblical manhood. And listen, like it or not, men, God starts with holding the man responsible for how legacies work or don't work. The Bible said that in Adam all died. It doesn't say in Adam and Eve all died, it says in Adam because God held the man responsible. Like it or not, want it or not, that's just the way it is. But as we get into this story in 1 Chronicles 7, you're, you're you're introduced to a man named Asher. We find out he has four sons, he has one daughter the end of his story turns out really great. I mean, he he didn't start out that way. And and here's why he didn't start out that way. He was the seventh son of Jacob. That means he's been raised in a dysfunctional home. His father, Jacob, was known as a trickster, a deceiver, a manipulator. He knew how to play the game and he rolled that on over to his children. Jacob created chaos in his own family. I mean, Asher was really, he, he was even part of the brothers who put Joseph in the pit to ruin his life. So there are men and women who have been raised in dysfunctional families, or maybe you grew up without a father, or there was one there, but he didn't act like a father. And there are all kinds of dysfunction in the family you grew up with. Maybe even today, there are siblings that you do not relate to because of the chaos. If you look at Asher's history and background, it's not pretty. It's actually ugly. But somewhere along the way, transformation takes place. We don't know when, we don't know how, we don't know what caused it. We just know that his life was transformed because what we're going to read here in the last verse of this chapter 7, it's an amazing end to his, to his legacy. 1 Chronicles 7 verse 40, listen to the words. I'm going to break them down. All of these were men of Asher, heads of father's houses, approved, Now, the better word in this translation is the word choice, but you can use either one. But choice, mighty warriors, chiefs of the princes. Now, this is what this verse shows me. So listen, this shows me that no matter how messed up your yesterday was, it does not have to control your tomorrow. Let let, let me say it this way. You have an option to change your legacy you can change your legacy. So I want to look at four things that impacted Asher's legacy. Asher instilled in his boys, number one, the head of a home is the leader of a home. Asher got right with God. He got his attitude right and things changed. Then he influenced his four boys and they took responsibility of their own families. You'll read it in the story. Headship. Here's what headship means. It's not a boss and, a, and, and lording over somebody. Headship means to take responsibility, to give direction, and to cast vision. So Asher decided his sons were going to be leaders of their homes. We focus more about leaders out in society. Now, you've got to start with being a leader in your home. He decided, my boys are not going to be like everybody else's sons. They're not going to run with the crowd, and so I'm going to raise up excellent, the cream of the crop boys to be men of God to be the men that God created them to be and take responsibility for their families. (coughs) I'm not going to let them settle. I'm not going to let them hang out with negative influencers because they're going to be leaders in their own home. And you may be thinking, well, how do I do that? Well, you give them a standard. You give them a standard to aim for and then you decide, I'm not letting social media, Facebook, Twitter, I'm not letting any of that set my kids' standards. Because I'm going I'm to find a divine standard from God's Word. I'm going to give that to them. And then I'm going to model that. You can't just give it, you've got to model it. And then I'm going to teach them to be the head and take responsibility. The second thing Asher did, he developed choice men. I told you that word. That word's a little closer to the right word. So Asher's boys became choice men. What does that mean? It means they became men of high character, high integrity, high standards. Let me illustrate it this way. Ever been behind a car with the right blinker on but the car's turning left? The person in the car is distracted and everyone behind them is confused. The ideal to develop the divine standard and then filter it through the head to model it in your home and teach by example, when you do that, you're not distracted. And those who are following you, they're not confused. They're not confused to the direction that you and your house are going. Asher exposes boys to high standards, men with high standards. Is there one in your home? Not perfection, but men that are not mediocre, but men with convictions toward God's standards. See, you you can't just send them to church or to school while you're watching football or doing your thing. You've got to be there. You've got to be engaged. You've got to be involved in school and friends and church. You remember years ago when airports started putting the metal detectors in. Those metal detectors, if you left your keys in your pocket, you walked through, it would go beep and the red light would come on. Those metal detectors then they had a sensitivity that had to be set by someone every day. Because sometimes you could go through and the keys would be in your pocket and it wouldn't set it off because whoever set the sensitivity didn't set it up right. We have a generation today that their conscience doesn't beep because they have no, no one has set their sensitivity to the divine standard. See, it's the head of the household's job to set the conscience so they have to think through what they're going to do because something is going to beep. And guess what, men, fathers? You set them. If you let the culture set them, they won't be sensitive. The divine standard must be established, and you don't change the standard. You administer the standard. Well, what's the standard? You administer it with the standard of of, of love and limits. And you can't be extreme in this. You've got to be balanced in this. And we're, we're As human individuals, we struggle with balance, but the balance in this is so you have compassion and love, but no standard that's out of balance. Or if you just have the standard and no compassion and no love, then that's just rules and, and you're controlling. The ideal is to compassionately move to meet the standard. In other words, the divine standard comes from God's holy word, so you don't dumb down God to make people happy. With the standard... You love your kids to God. With that standard, with truth, you love people to God. Yes, there are many challenges today, and your kids may be struggling right now. If not, they're going to be struggling at one time. And now, today, they can be exposed to stuff that you don't even know about because they carry a phone and they have access to the whole world, and you can't completely control that. So you better be using every opportunity you can to set the divine standard. So the beep goes off, and then you can parent with love and limits because we all want choice children, right? We want choice children, choice grandchildren. The fourth, the next thing, the third thing Asher did, he raised up mighty warriors. You do understand that everything we're encountering and leaving a spiritual legacy involves a spiritual warfare. We're in a spiritual warfare. You have to fight for your kids, and you have to teach them to fight. Now, many of you listening to me may be raised in the generation tagged baby boomers. That environment did support a Christian worldview. It wasn't perfect, but it was respected. So if people were not Christians, they were respected. They respected Christianity. Right now, we live in a post-Christian era where absolute standards and right and wrong are no longer respected. So people are making up their own rules as they go as to what's right and what's wrong. Go back to the book of Judges. It said that every man did what was right in his own eyes. So you've got to watch and you've got to monitor even what they're taught in school, even you know their friends, their relationships. You've got, you, you got to watch, you've got to monitor because unless we watch and monitor the standard, one day they're going to be confused when they move into their adolescent years or adulthood. And it seems today kids are getting that way sooner than later. Asher raised warriors who knew how to fight for what was right. They knew this divine standard and they were willing to live by it even if they had to fight for what was right. Fourthly, Asher raised them to be chiefs of princes. Not just leaders in the home, not just future leaders, but mentors too. He raised his sons like a prince so they could raise up princes. In other words, Asher is saying, all my kids need to know they're kings and queens in waiting. Spiritually, spiritually. That's what a prince is but he had to be raised as a prince so he'd be qualified to be kings. You have to speak and talk into your children's lives their potential to rule and reign in this life. Not just talk the negative, not just complain, but, but talk the potential to rule and reign in this life because they are a prince or a princess. They're not ordinary kids because they, they're kings and queens and waiting. And the Father, Father God looks at us that way. He talks about us that way. Jesus said they're ro- it's a royal priesthood. That's royal language. You are to speak to them royally, but because when you know you're a prince, when your kid knows they're a prince or princess, it not only affects what they think about themselves, but it affects how they evaluate anybody else who wants to relate to them. So, men, my question is, what level of mentoring are you giving your kids today? And what about the third generation? Hey, grandfathers, what level of mentoring are you giving your kids? Please listen to me. Because many young men have been spiritually castrated because he's not been given a sense of royal standing in his family, but most importantly in the Lord. Because there's no godly male figure that loves God and loves them enough to give them a divine standard and impart it spiritually to them so they can take all of God into all of their life. Maybe your dad wasn't there. Maybe maybe it was a bad dad was there and you've you've had so many bad experiences and you've struggled with rebellion and and sin. Listen to me. God knows all of that. But just for a moment in your mind, just for a moment, can you call yourself Asher? In your mind, can you say, I am Asher? Yes, he had a dysfunctional family and history. But the good news is he shows up in the end As a man with a powerful legacy. I want a powerful legacy. I want a powerful legacy to give to my children and my grandchildren. When you look at the end of Asher's story, I didn't read the last part of verse 40. I saved it for now. And the number of them enrolled for service in war was 26,000 men. Listen. Started one man. Had four sons and one daughter. By the time he finished the race... He's got 26,000 men in his legacy that are warriors and standard bearers. But listen, this is the key. If you don't get anything else, this is the key. Men, you can't be thinking about just you. You just can't be thinking about just you. You got to think about the generations that are depending on you to build an army of godly men and women ready to spiritually fight for their families. Men, fathers, I'd like to pray for you. Right where you are, wherever you are, in your car, or your home, I want to pray for you now. Father, thank you that you put these stories in your word and that we can learn from them. And we thank you that you created us to be responsible, but as responsible men, you're right there with us to lead us and to guide us. And I pray for every man that heard this message, that they will be stirred and know that they can change their legacy that they can impart into their children and their children's children spiritual legacy, spiritual assets that'll be passed on for generations and generations and generations to come. So I pray your hand on every man, your blessing on every man, and that their families would be raised up to call you blessed and to love your word and to honor you with their whole lives. In Jesus' name, and every man said amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.